Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Firm Returns Weekly. And it's been a two-week hiatus. Um, as I was uh, away last weekend, but yeah, we've got an action-packed episode this week with quite a lot to cover. So I will share my screen and uh, we can get started. So yeah, as I said, action-packed, Tiny Build, Warner Brothers Discovery, Aviva, and Fuller's to cover today. So let's start with Tiny Build. So the first bit of news was that Broken Roads, which was originally scheduled to release on the 14th of November, has been uh, postponed until early next year. Uh, they've mentioned a few different things, reasons around uh, a bit more polish time, etc., um, but they've also said they're going to add a bit more content to the game. Uh, so, so it should be a, a fuller game as a result. So good to see. It's a shame. Uh, right now it's uh, inopportune time because of the, the cash flows. Uh, would be quite useful right now for Tiny Build. Um, I can't imagine it. I'm, it would help to offset versus evil and red servers are probably being quite a drain on the company right now so having a bit of cash coming in from a game they're publishing would be good but yeah ultimately it will be better to have a game that comes out fully polished and ready and i'm presuming it's going to come out fully across all platforms at once so having a game that it doesn't have loads of bugs or issues is going to be better in the long run for its uh, residual success if it gets off to a to a flying start. So um and being a third party title as well, the cash flow would would probably be wouldn't be as substantial um early on anyway. But um yeah there was a little bit of confusion because the game even though they'd made this announcement it was only really visible if you went into onto the game Steam page or well, I guess on Twitter or somewhere else, if you'd actually been following the game closely and you'd looked at their recent news in the news items, it said it was there, but the actual on the store page, it still said it was releasing on the 14th of November. So, and even Steam seemed to think that it was coming out then because it got put on the popular upcoming list uh, the day that it was supposed to be released as well, which normally only happens on the day or the day before the game's actually released. Uh, if it is a popular upcoming one. And um, that is the other thing to mention is that, so I do think perhaps that was by design because it, it maybe helped to, people came to have a look at it and it, it perhaps boosted uh, the awareness of the game, the fact that it got onto this popular upcoming list uh, for a day or so, um, quite a way ahead of when it's actually going to be released. Maybe a little ploy there, but um, it, it might have been a, an intentional slip. Uh, but yeah, it's added in the period since then. So they took a couple of screenshots, one on the 14th, one on the 25th, which was yesterday, uh, Saturday. Uh, it's had over 500 new followers added. And oh, it got all the way down to like 115 at one point, but I think I'm guessing some, some new titles have been added that have suddenly been pushed in front or something and pushed it back a little bit but yeah you saw quite a big um gro decent growth in wish list and and follower numbers so yeah the 500 could have been another 
5,000 or more wish lists, which is a quite nice little bump to be getting at this stage in stage in the game. Um, and yeah, it would mean might mean it has a bigger release when it does come out than than it would have had if it had been released on the 14th. So yeah, it's good to see. And it's I think we, there was something similar happened with I Am Future, which was a tiny build one, that it kind of got the release got the early access release got pushed back um, a little bit. And the audience responded fairly positively, and the game actually probably did better as a result. It got more followers and wishes and so on. On the announcement, it was getting pushed back a bit. Though I think they probably did it a little bit more advanced than the like five or six days before. Um, but yeah, so that that's that in summary. So a bit of a shame. It's, it still means we haven't had any really successful releases from versus evil since they were acquired in 2021 i think um so we're still in a dry spell for the company but hopefully next year will be they'll have at least one big and decent release coming in and then something that did release on the 14th was the bits of your life dlc for not for broadcast and uh they view so this is technically now an own IP title because they've did an acquire hire of um, not games which is the developer and so yeah they put the to help promote the DLC um, and which I think was bun put to bundled together you can get like the deluxe edition which just includes all three DLCs there's still one more to come um, bundled in but they did a 70% off deal which still is a decent price of six pounds 29 um for the base game and then presumably that's going to a lot of people would have opted to go for maybe the deluxe edition which would have been a bit more expensive and included the dlc or someone or uh people who'd bought the base game um it reminded them of the game they go to look at the page or and they see it they and they had like a interview with the cast because it's got actors and so on this game it's a live action game um they had interviews with the cast and so on running at the top and and uh yeah some some other other things advertising the new dlc so with a new trailer for it and so on running on the the main page so yeah helped to drive some traffic and it and it did pretty well at being a day of deal it actually drove the sales of the base game i caught it at Number 102 in the top sellers list, which normally it's sort of sitting uh, beyond a 1,000 or whatever. So it's, uh, yeah, a really nice little boost for the game there. And it's, uh, yeah, so decent sales. And, and I think we can just see, so combining the, the sales, the new sales of the game and um, players coming back to, to buy the DLC, which will have been sold at full price and so on if they'd come to pick that up and well, unless they'd bought the deluxe edition before to get them all bundled together. And uh, this resulted in a really nice little bump. It was higher than the, the bump we saw with the last DLC when I looked back at the... If you look back, you can sort of see the spike they got from the previous one. So yeah, it's done better than the prior one. I don't know whether they did a daily deal like this, but... We saw a similar strategy with Asteragos, um, 
when they did their anniversary update, they did a daily deal, and it really, I mean, I think that one took that into like the top 50 or something, but um, but it was a, a bigger game potentially, but yeah, just really good progress there. Um, and driving, driving up and showing that there's con- ongoing, you know, the games are continuing to generate revenue. Uh, a must be a year or more now into its to its life with the new DLCs that uh, serve as these monetization events. So yeah, that that was all positive, I think, and it's still keeping its very high, ninety four point five one percent positive review score. So nice bit of nice bit of IP for the the company to have that. Even though I think it was pretty much written or written down. Zero. I wonder if uh, they've regained some of the stuff they wrote off when they acquired it. Uh, yeah, so that, that concludes Tinyable's updates. Uh, we also have something else released on the 14th, which was the Hogwarts Legacy uh, port to Switch, Nintendo Switch. And it seems to have gone relatively well. I mean, it's a really ambitious game to try and port to a effectively a tablet that was so it's a triple a game designed for running on next gen consoles and pc and what have you and and uh can push the limits of your pc hardware a bit depending on if you've got an older pc and so on um and they've taken that and put it onto basically a, a tablet from with with a cpu and graphics hardware and what have you in there that's uh from 2016 so um yeah, they've they've done quite a, a Herculean task there, but certainly ambitious. And uh, they're also doing a similar thing. It should be coming out in the next week, I think, um, for or next week or two for the Arkham games. But they they were older as well, but still big three D open world sort of uh, games. So quite ambitious to try and be porting across. But yeah, it seems to be they've done quite a good job with keeping keeping it performant there's a few things they've had to make compromises visually and so on but i think particularly in like handheld mode it, it looks pretty good and um and yeah there have been some some pretty good reviews but people have been quite impressed i think um obviously the the playing experience is going to be better playing it on a pc or like a steam deck or a asus rog ally or something or or I think the other one, big one, is Lenovo Legion Go or something handheld gaming um, thing device. It's going to be a better experience with those, just because they're more performance on. But for people who've got Switch, which is a very big audience, they've got like I think it's over a hundred million active players on the Switch or something like that. That's a, that's a big audience uh, to be to be going for um, there, and to have the that can now buy the game on their existing hardware so yeah it's good and i think it's they've done a pretty good job at porting it so a couple of other little things for warner brothers discovery first of all they had a well they have currently a black friday discount for max where they're offering a six month subscription to max's ad supported tier so one of the cheaper tiers uh at a 70 percent discount and um 
yeah, I don't think that this doesn't apply to their full price. The full price one's unchanged at like $16 or something. $15.99. Um, but yeah, I, I'm guessing here they're trying to to boost their subscriber numbers, and especially on the and like raise awareness of the ad supported tier and draw, drive people to that um, to help boost the overall subscriber numbers and keep It makes sense to do this for something like the ad supported tier because I'm guessing a fair amount of the revenue does come from the ad component of it. So selling it at a discount, the actual subscription part is probably not too costly. Whereas if you do a 70% discount on the one that relies purely on subscription revenue, it's going to be to have a bigger hit. Um, but yeah, we'll have to look in their key for update and see what that's done to the subscriber numbers. Hopefully give them a little boost. Um, and then finally, well, not finally, it's a couple of things, but June part two, which had been pushed back, is supposed to be released this year, but has been pushed back because of the writer strikes. It's now been brought forward by a couple of weeks. So it was going to be releasing, I think, on the 15th of March. Now it's going to be releasing on the 1st, and it's filling a slot that's been vacated by The Fall Guy, which is a movie by Universal, which has been pushed back to the 3rd of May. Uh, so yeah, it's good to see pulling forward, and I think that's a particularly good slot from what I understand because uh, it comes up on a, on a sort of leads in to the, you know, into the holiday there. The um, there uh, can't remember the holiday but yeah it's it's quite it's been historically been quite a good slot to have so yeah, it's good to have that see that pulled forward and potentially give it a longer run um and finally for for uh one of us discovery i just wanted to mention something that uh some a friend of mine raised brought to my attention which was like who is a friend is a shareholder of doc doc martin's uh, the shoe brand and he's highlighted that they're they're doing a collaboration with warner brothers discovery to celebrate the 100 year anniversary of warner brothers studios and they've done two sort of series of products one around the blade runner uh film so there's like a blade very sort of cyberpunk style boots with i think something like uh like tears in the rain or something like that on, on the back, which is the famous line at the end of the the film. And they've also done a Mad Max Fury Road, um, two different variants of the boots there. And I think there's also a mess. There's like a what do they call it? A reporter bag, which is a sort of smallish um, side bag in a sort of cyberpunky kind of futuristic blade runner style as well but uh yeah they look pretty cool and they and they've certainly uh seem to be settling well from the current event stock availability in the uk on the uk website just down to the three smaller sizes left all the, the large ones which they normally have the highest stock in are all completely gone um so yeah it's good to see and i think with the uh, mad max fury road it's quite a, a good timing for um for them just raising awareness of it and putting it back into people's minds because next year there was probably around the summertime i think august or something they're going to be releasing a prequel to the mad max furiode film called furiosa following uh the main so charlie's theron 
um, I think was the actress who played Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road, the one-armed lady in that film. And it's going to be like a bit of a backstory for her, uh, this new film, Furiosa. So, and I think it was, um, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, it's it's the name the actor who's going to play her is uh, has been named, um, and, uh, something with joy or something like that. Um, anyway, she's she's been in quite a few films. But she played um, she was in the Queen. She starred in the Queen's Gambit and uh, was in the Northman and a few other few other notable films and series of late. But yeah, so good timing for that. And I also actually saw um, leading up to uh, the release of Wonka, which is coming out uh, in the next few weeks in the UK uh, and, and globally. But I saw listed in a in a supermarket a there's a product you can get called a candy can, which is like a, a candy flavored uh, soft drink, but zero sugar and stuff. And they'd done like a special edition, a special Wonka edition, which is like toffee apple flavor with like the Wonka branding and stuff. So I'm guessing they've done doing things with other sweet and chocolate brands or whatever as well. So it'd be quite quite cool to see that kind of like physical marketing uh, devices in there as well. Right, so that concludes one of our discovery. Let's move on to Aviva, which had its Q3 trading update. So on the 16th of November. Aviva released a Q3 trading update, and here are some of the highlights. So at a group level, things are looking robust. Solvency 2 shareholder cover ratio is 200%. Solvency 2 debt leverage ratio is 30.6%, and they're looking to keep that around, you know, they're aiming to have a maximum of 30%. So they're just going to have, I think they'll be looking to, Bring that down slightly, but I think they've pretty much finished with the the repurchase of debt. I guess they'll allow something to uh, mature or something like that and just pay it off. But yeah, their debt sort of repayment programs pretty much come to an end now as they're pretty much on their target there. But the insolvency to shareholder cover ratio of 200% is above their target range of 160 to 180 as well. So there's plenty of Headroom there, and uh, finally, their central liquidity is one hundred is one point five billion pounds, which is very much their sort of target. Um, they like to have a basically a year's worth of uh, expenses just sitting there in central liquid liquidity available at all times. So they're maintaining their guidance for five to seven percent growth. In operating profit from the one billion three hundred fifty million pounds they delivered in twenty twenty two, and expect to pay a total dividend of circa nine hundred fifteen million pounds or thirty three point four pence per share for twenty twenty three, and there's as I've said, low to mid single digit growth from there on. But they're yeah that they've also done a three hundred million pound share buyback, so the actual uh, this year and so the total returns to shareholders there um as although yeah the shareholder yield maybe you'd say has been has been significantly higher probably like a 1.2 billion or something so 
really quite really quite healthy and um they're expecting to beat their targets of 1.5 billion pounds in own funds generation which is another solvency to measure in 2024 and cumulative cash remittances of 5.4 billion pounds between 2022 and 2024 along with 750 million pounds gross cost reduction though inflation has eaten a fair amount of these savings already. So they're expecting the gross cost reduction to be achieved a year early. So I think that would be basically done this year rather than in 2024, which is by the end of 2024, which is their original target. And they're expecting to, like I say, they're expecting to beat both the other ones as well. So more than 5.4 billion in cash remittances and cash remittances again are the basically the payments from their subsidiaries to the parent group. So the UK and Ireland general insurance, wealth subsidiaries, Canada subsidiaries, etc., all paying um, effectively dividends to the to the parent company. Um, yeah, so they're on track to beat all those. And so moving to the segments, general insurance has held up fairly well despite the inflationary environment with gross ridden premiums for the first nine months of 2023 up 11% at 8 billion and 44 million versus 7 billion 225 million in the nine months of 2022. However, the undiscounted core for the nine months rose 2.1 percentage points to 93 point, sorry, 96.3% from 94.2% with a 3% rise in Canada due to the recent wildfires. In Q3, the impact was particularly pronounced, with Canada's undiscounted core rising to 104.1%. I think those wildfires, basically in that quarter, contributed something like close to uh, over close to 12% or something of, uh, of their uh, core. So uh, it was a very substantial addition, but over the course of the year still kept it. I think on the nine months for Canada, it's it's kept it down to around about 96, 97%. So uh, so average across the year is still still profitable in Canada. But yeah, quite a big hit. And uh, also since the period end, the UK has been hit by Storms Babbitt and Sierran. It was, a I think, a Irish word. But thus far, the impact has been within Aviva's long-term average weather assumption of circa four percentage points of undiscounted core. So yeah, it's kept it's still um, fairly modest the impact and so within their long-term average assumptions. Unlike Canada, which just seems to be significantly above that, as I said, like eleven or twelve percent. Um. In insurance, wealth and retirement, or IWR, protection and health sales for nine months of 2023 were up 23% to £330 million versus £268 million in the nine months, first nine months of 2022, driven by 56% growth in health sales as people turn to private healthcare due to the decline in the UK National Health Service. Don't get me started on that. Um, in wealth, workplace net flows saw a substantial 26% increase to 
5,114,000,000 from 4,055,000,000 in the nine months of 2022. As the business won 257 new schemes and benefited from the positive impact of wage inflation on employee contributions. So as wages go up and people are paying just a sort of fixed percentage every month, naturally that increases the the, the overall net flows into workplace pension schemes uh, without them actually having to add any new uh, customers. So it's kind of benefiting. That's one way that inflation is actually benefiting Aviva. So... Yeah, and just to say as well, workplace was a is a key focus, and they in, with their they had an in focus event focused on wealth, and and a large part of that was uh, actually talking about the opportunities in the workplace uh, business, so workplace pension business. So, yeah, so it's a key area to, of of growth for the company there. But this increase in the workplace um, net flows was unfortunately more than offset by declines in platform and individual pension net flows, which decreased the overall net flows to 6 billion four hundred and seventy-four million from 7 billion and 24 million the prior year. Basically, people aren't investing as much outside of their workplace pensions. So individual pensions and uh just other uh, not not necessarily pensions, but other asset management services putting it into ISAs, individual savings accounts or or um other saving products and in retirement sales were pretty well flat at 4 billion 356 million versus 4 billion 276 million in the 9 months of 2022 as higher bulk purchase annuity and individual annuity volumes were offset by substantially lower equity release volumes. So this is because higher rates make annuities more attractive, but reduce the appeal of equity release. Because in the case of annuities, like people end up getting higher payments uh, over the life of their, their deal, their annuity. But with equity release, people end up losing more of the value of their property in order to get the equity out because of the interest rates um, on, the, what they t- on the equity they take out being much higher. Effectively, it's, it's the similar model to a mortgage. So finally, Aviva investors saw a 1% decrease in assets under management to £218 billion, but still managed to attract £498 million of external net flows. But as Aviva investors is a certainly on a uh, profit uh, operating profit basis is a pretty small contribution to the overall group. It's um it serves the other seg- the other segments more than actually providing much on, on its own. But I think uh, management do want to try and grow certainly the external uh, management and external asset management component of the business. It's not just managing their own internal assets. But of course, the Viva Investors also manages the shareholder asset portfolio as well, which is uh, 
I think close to 80 billion pounds or something. It's quite, so it's just obviously a very integral part of the business, just not a major profit center. Uh, Yeah, so that sums it up for Aviva. I'm I'm pretty happy overall. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, I think we've got a pretty, it's, it's nice to see, you can really see the diversification with interest rate rises benefiting some areas like you know general insurance stuff for that like the, i was talking about the calls being the undiscounted ones but if you look at the discounted ones which like factors in the current like interest rates you've got available um and effectively the amount they can make on the premiums while they're just sitting in the bank account before they have to actually pay them out that lag between the premiums coming in and, and them having to pay the claims uh yeah it just makes it a far more profitable business than it than it was before and, and helps to offset the just the lower uh the the cost inflation they're they're seeing and stuff like that. And then the same kind of thing you can see with the annuities business and uh what benefiting from interest rates being balancing out the lower amount from equity release, which is obviously a business that was booming when interest rates were lower. Um and then you've got uh the yeah, the workplace businesses that's you're getting inflationary boosts there, um, which are helping to offset sort of shrinking margins maybe in between uh, in the general insurance business and other things because of claims and stuff. So, so yeah, the nice the diversity of the business is really helping there. And it's, I think they said something as well on the lines of that because um, they've been trying to move towards more of a capital light model. Um, so obviously things like annuities and stuff like that are fairly capital intensive. They lock up quite a lot of capital to do it. Um, but uh, the more capital light, or yeah, a lot of the life business space like that, but a lot of the capital light stuff, which there are some segments within the insurance, wealth and retirement stuff as well. Managing other people's assets is not a... Uh, doesn't require much capital from the Aviva's point of view, the shareholders' point of view, and um, obviously general insurance and so on is all capital light. Not really locking up much. They just they're just taking in the premiums and then uh, making sure the premiums that they they bring in cover are, are higher than the overall cost they expect to pay out, and then collecting in you know investing those into assets that shorter term assets or a bit of a mix that allow the company to generate a, a return in the interim between collecting the premiums and actually paying out. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really moving towards, they, I think they said something like 50, they've now crossed the point where 50% of their overall operating profit is now coming from capital light business. So they, they're really making good strides in move, transitioning towards that capital light model and and that's where they aim in for the growth going forwards. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy as a, a Viva shareholder. So a quick drink before I move on to followers. So on the 15th of November, Fuller's released their half-year results for the 26 weeks to the 30th of September. So some key takeaways were 
revenue for the half year 24. So if they technically count it as they they will call this year we're in now as the 24 year because that, because it ends in uh April 1st of April 2024. So that's um yeah, that just a little bit of a uh, unusual bad way of doing it there. But just so whenever I talk about twenty four, it's actually this year we're in now, um, or the half year that's just passed, and twenty three is actually the six months ending thirtieth of September twenty twenty two. Um, so yeah, revenue for half year twenty four rose twelve percent to 188.8 million pounds versus 168.9 million pounds in half year 23 split between 172.5 million pounds or 153.5 million in half year 23 from the managed estate and 16.3 million pounds or 15.1 million pounds in the half year 23 from the tenanted estate the bidder contributions from the two segments were 37.1 million pounds or prior year 30 million pounds and 8.3 million pounds or prior year 7.8 million pounds respectively illustrating the much higher margins on the tenant of the state so you can see it's about 50 percent margins between the 16.3 million pounds in revenue and the 8.3 million pounds um in EBITDA uh, versus like I think something like 17% or something like that margin maybe less on the um, on the managed estate so yeah obviously kind of like the franchise model has much higher margins and what have you and that's sort of like the actual the franchise component split between um, sales of of goods to them uh, to the to the tenants so th they sell all of the beer wine whatever they've got just like a monopoly selling that stuff and, and food and so on to them but and i think they also now have started selling like electricity and everything because they, they can do a, when they were struggling when rates were going up and stuff like that they managed to lock in pretty good rates for the whole estate and that also then benefited the tenants so advantages of being a tenant of uh fullers rather than going out on your own and getting your own pub song and um the other component is they pay a rent i believe on the property as well so uh yeah and those two together gives you 8.3 million in ebitda so overall ebitda was 34.8 million or 28.9 million the prior year after subtracting 10.6 million pounds of central and other costs from the segmental contributions. So uh yeah, obviously that's why it's lower than the 37.1 plus 8.3, which should have been significantly higher. Um operating profit increased 37% to 21.4 million versus 15.6 million in half year 23 while profit before tax increased 39% to 14.9 million pounds versus 10.7 million in half year 23 profit after tax growth was slightly lower 
at 32% due to higher corporation tax rates, 25% versus 19%. The net profit figure, which is the profit after tax, was £10.7 million pounds versus £8.1 million in half year 23. Cash generated from operations saw a decided increase of 26% to £31.7 million from £25.2 million in half year 23, while capital expenditure on property, plant and equipment fell substantially to £9 million versus £14.9 million the prior year. They used these cash flows to, amongst other things, repay £7 million of debt, pay £6.1 million in a final dividend, and repurchase £3.5 million worth of shares. Um, so that was just, I think, like the towards the tail end of of the overall 1 million shares they were repurchasing, which cost about 5.8 million, a bit more, um, slightly more. So yeah, the overall repurchases have been a bit higher. Um, and so yeah, I mean, just to mention, just to talk about that. So the cash flow from operations is is uh, looking very healthy there. And um, on that basis, I can't remember what the market cap of the uh, company is now, but yeah, it's it's uh it's a it's a pretty starting to get to a pretty healthy uh, multiple of uh, cash flows from operations there. Um, let's have a look. And net debt, excluding leases, stood at £129.4 million at period end, with a leverage ratio of 2.6x, and undrawn credit facilities of £86.5 million. Interest cover, interest is well covered at circa 5x, but it would be good to see leverage come down now interest rates are significantly higher yeah this they've seen a market increase in the overall dress costs of like a million or so i think in this half and obviously it'll be more over the span of a full year so yeah the, the cost is getting to the point now where it probably just makes more sense to start paying it down um so they can so it's not a drain on their overall uh, overall profits, um, but obviously it makes sense to have a bit of leverage in a business, especially with the body one, because I presume they're still getting uh, yields on the uh, properties they have that are above the uh, the current interest rates they're being charged, which is something like five point seven percent or something like that, or slightly slightly more. Um, I think there's a bit of a range there. But uh, in July 2024, they will, so this is next year, they will be completing the sale of a property in Southwark, which will realise £20 million of value. It will be interesting to see the profit they make on this sale as a representative example of how undervalued their estate currently is. So yeah, I think in past years they I think last year or something they made like I think it was eleven point one eleven point eight million pounds profit from the sale of property or something like that. We'll have to see uh how much they make on from this sale. Um but yeah, that they have done some impairments of some properties. So 
their kind of policy is that they carry assets at cost or I think the valuation from the 1990s on on average um but then they will if they believe that the fair value of a property they believe it goes which they do as a calculate from a, a multiple of a bit of the property uh, generated by the property if that falls below a the current holding current value held on the balance sheet then they will write it down in pair it but it, they when it works the other way or if they're able to sell something it's only really when they come to actually sell something that you see the upside and, and there is obviously some quite a lot of properties in their portfolio which are going to be worth a lot more than they were back in the in the 90s so um yeah there's we'll have to see i presume they got a substantial capital gain here because otherwise uh they probably wouldn't have sold it but um yeah, in line with the increase in profit, they've announced a 42% increase in the interim dividend to 6.63 pence per share versus 4.68 pence in half year 2023, making it back up, taking it back up to 85% of its 2019 level. They've also commenced a further share buyback program of an additional 1 million shares. So yeah, all very positive uh, steps in the share price actually jumped up from 580 to like six pound fifty um on the news on, on the release of these half year results and the news that there's going to be another million shares bought back so yes yeah, it's, it's positive to see and the market seems to be happy about it but it's still very undervalued um relative to the it's still well below even just the book value of the assets but uh significantly further below the actual sort of valuation they did a year or so ago on um of, of all the assets in the in the portfolio which was pretty conservative right yeah that's um i think i, I am i'm very happy with what's been done with fuller's i'm happy with what's going on with viva and uh yeah i think we've got we'll have in the next few weeks we're going to have um some new movie releases from Warner Brothers Discovery. So next month, so we've got Wonka, I think on the 8th of December or something like that. And then 20th of December, I think, is Aquaman 2. So two films to, to look at there. Um, I don't think there's any more releases. Maybe there'll be updates or DLCs they don't normally guide for those kind of things. They don't normally give dates specifically for those. Um and not any kind of far in advance anyway, for tiny build and stuff. Um, so yeah, but it'll be, well, it'll be some, potentially some other things to look at, but, but yeah, I think that we'll, we'll leave it there on this episode. Um, so I will say thank you for watching. Check out um, the article on firmreturns.com usual place it should be a link in the video description here for that and yeah so you can comment on here in there there can this if you're watching this on youtube or listening to this on a podcast player you know that there's there is a, a video or an audio option alternative depending on which one you want um but yeah great uh i'll see you all next time <laughs>